You're listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Chris Burns. Well, good morning, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Port Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. This morning, Chris Burns, owner of 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM, joins me as co-host. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Dolores. I'm excellent, thank you. It's great to see the sun shining and great to see everybody here today. It sure is. It sure is. I, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Small Business Enterprise Centre, City of Niagara Falls. They're great supporters of our chamber and of the local business community. Chris, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the border, uh, what travellers can expect, what truckers are experiencing, and how we can get products across the border in an efficient manner. Ease of flow across the border is critical to our economy, so this is an important conversation to have. Chris, let's get to it. Who's joining us this morning? Well, Dolores, this morning uh, we welcome Stephanie Defoe, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Niagara Falls Bridge Commission, also Wayne Hanslick, uh, Rabai Express, and Kevin Jacoby, who's the Executive Director of Canada BW Logistics. So welcome, everybody. Stephanie, uh, let's start with you and perhaps some stats. What are you currently seeing at the border? in terms of both truck traffic and car traffic? Sure, let's start with truck traffic because truck traffic's a little bit easier than the auto traffic. Um, Right now for truck traffic, um, to be honest, even since the pandemic, it's been relatively flat or we've been up just slightly. So we haven't really seen a big decline in truck traffic other than um, the first two months um, of the pandemic, um, because of all the uncertainty at the border, which really does have a very big impact when, when you introduce a tremendous amount of uncertainty at the border or even away from the border as far as um, accepting loads and, and how all of the various businesses were functioning, we did see a decrease um, those first two months, but then it picked right back up where it left off and it's been relatively flat all the way through the pandemic and even at points we've been up a little bit for truck traffic so that so truck traffic's really holding its own and 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 you can see that the priority that the government placed on commercial traffic um, it really did play out that way commercial traffic was not really impacted tremendously by the measures at the border as far as um the the covid measures that were in place because of the essential um, designations and, and such Auto traffic, different story. Um, auto traffic, uh, we we really started out down close to uh, almost 90, 87 to 90%. And we really stayed there throughout the pandemic, throughout the pandemic up until about April 1st of this year, where they dropped some of the testing measures. And when they dropped some of the testing measures, we did see auto traffic recover slightly. Um, We're down about 51% still though, um, from pre-pandemic levels. And that's still very significant. And that's since April 1st. And, you know, I ran the numbers for this last weekend, which was Victoria Day, right? Hoping to see a little bit of a bump, a little glimmer of, of hope for the border operators. 
but we were down still 49% this past weekend. Um, so westbound into Canada, <laughs> That's that that's equivalent to about 20,000 vehicles um, that didn't come to Canada um, this past weekend. Um, so, so that's pretty significant. And since April 1st, um, since they changed the actual restrictions, um, we're down about 146,000 vehicles coming into Canada since April 1st. So we're down even more? Well, from April 1st to, to May, we're down about 146,000, which is about which is about 50, 51% down from the year prior. The year prior. So, but just to put it in perspective, that's about 146,000 vehicles that are not coming into Canada, whether that's going to Niagara to visit various tourist destinations, going to Toronto, that's auto traffic that's just not coming into, in, into, this, uh, into Ontario through our ports here in Niagara. And that's not including Peace Bridge. So that's just our three area ports which is Lewiston, Rainbow, and Whirlpool. So is that, um, do you think that's just because habits have changed or people are uncertain of what the rules are? I, I know that, you know, being a chamber of commerce, um, we still get a lot of calls. People still want to know if they can get across the border, what they need to do. Um, and when we tell them some of the things, we can tell that, uh, okay, well, thanks for the information, but it, it's probably push them to not coming. Is, is that what you think the issue is that there are still, you know, some requirements, maybe you can talk about what those requirements are. Sure. I th honestly, I think it's a combination of a bunch of different things. I think um, since the pandemic has spread over for quite a long period, right? We've really been in this since 2020. So a lot of people have sourced goods and, and gotten a behavioral pattern or established a behavioral pattern of staying in Canada <laughs> to do their shopping or staying in the US to do their shopping and their travel. And so it takes a while to reestablish those those habits, right? It's like anything, once you kind of get a habit, it's tough to tough to get out of it. So I think it's going to take a while to reestablish those connections and get people traveling back and forth. But I also think there's still a lot of uncertainty out there, people who still are not real familiar with the rules, they don't really know because they've changed so frequently during the pandemic that I think people are just not sure where it's at right now. What are the rules? Um, so I think there's still a little bit of uncertainty around the rules. And then I think there are people that do know the rules that are just like, well, it's not worth it. Cause if I do get selected for a random test and pop up positive, even if it's, it's false positive, then I'm still going to have some, some testing, like then I have quarantine restrictions and can't really afford to take that chance with work or whatever their situations are. So there's, I think there's that. And then I also think that there, the arrive can app coming back into Canada, um, is still cumbersome for some um, people, right? There's a lot of people that are super tech savvy, have smartphones, and it's easy for them to, to do. But there's still um, a lot of people that don't, that have not quite gotten to that point. I had a gentleman the other day come in the office, he crosses four times a week normally to go to the casino to play at the casino, but he hasn't been across since the pandemic. He tried to go across but got turned around because he didn't have the arrive cam. And, and so he came to our office and I sat with him for about uh, probably close to 20 minutes, but was able to eventually get him into a ride can, get him set up. Um, you know, he's grateful and now he'll start going across. But but to me, it kind of 
makes me wonder how many people are out there that are like that, that just maybe are a little reluctant to go across because mm-hmm. they just aren't quite familiar with how to use the Arrive Can app. And right now, Arrive Can is still mandatory. Um, you know, so so I think that also is playing a little bit of a role in the in the hesitancy to to see that traffic regain. Yeah, for sure. And, and we're definitely going to come back to that. But I want to get Wayne's uh, take on this. Wayne, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> you've been crossing the border throughout the entire pandemic, correct? I, ha- I have. And um, Stephanie's made some valid, some great points. Um, I have, I consolidated from five days to three days, um, crossing Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. And yes, I've noticed the volume of truck traffic and auto traffic. And I mean, it's actually sad to see that, you know, with two countries, but like, you know, Stephanie said, you know, the arrive can, um, as long as you have that downloaded in your phone and, you know, I, I wasn't sure on if I had everything downloaded properly, but you know, the officers, the Canadian officers, they were very helpful and, you know, getting me to where I need to be and, um, you know, having, you know, the first shot, um, seeing it and then having the second injection, um, everything was in place. So they kind of went through it and, you know, they would update me, Hey, you know, you're, you're due for your second shot. And they were, they were helpful in, in that aspect. Um, but the, the vehicle traffic, you know, the auto traffic, I've seen, some major traffic, which was great, you know, the last couple of weeks, um, even the truck traffic, um, it's been getting a little crazy. A couple of times coming into the U S the traffic's been backed up on the QEW, which is great. Um, so yeah, things are, you know, I think everybody is on the same page. They know what to do. Um, you know, they can call customs and I'm sure. And I don't know what you offer Dolores, if, if there's any information you can give somebody, um, crossing the bridge, you know, um, just to make them feel more at ease. I, I, I think, I think right now, just, you know, if you have the proper documentation and the arrive can you're, you're able to get over no problem. That's a really good perspective because I think that the issue is people don't know before they get there or they think it's, it's, you know, a really daunting process. Yes. Um, Stephanie made a good point that not everybody is tech savvy. And so you, you get a lot of seniors. I'm not. I'm right? not. I, so I'm really I not either. Out, I'm really I not either. Out. And, and again, I, you know, my girlfriend was a big help actually too. But, you know, when I got to the, to the booth, I said, Hey, can you just check on, you know, the status and, and, and that I did everything right. And they brought it up and they seen everything and they're like, yeah, you're good to go. So um, yeah, I, Honestly, it, it, it's an easy process. You know, again, the, the tech savvy people, they'll get it. People that are, you know, reluctant and, you know, hesitant. I, I think they just need to go for it just, yeah. to, just to get that traffic moving and people, you know, um, just doing the cross border thing, whether it's coming to dinner or, you know, business, we, we got to get things going again. Yeah, you're right. I, mean, I, can, uh, I can tell you that crossing the border is a lot easier than flying. Oh, uh, I had totally. to fly a few weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to Vegas to work, and um, uh, you know the arrive can uh, not a problem. I navigated my way through that, but the confusing thing was the airlines kept communicating with me. I flew on two different airlines, 
and one airline wouldn't allow me to upload one thing and another airline told me electronically that I'd actually done something wrong where in fact I hadn't. And, and so, you know, that caused, to be honest, a, a reasonable amount of stress. I'm but sure. when you show up at the border, my experience is that, uh, you know, the, the border folks are really helpful, are pleased to see you. Yep. Um, what we've noticed, uh, we include, we've now started adding uh, border wait times in our traffic reports on our radio stations. And we've certainly noticed over the last couple of weeks, those times have started to grow at various times. Mm-hmm. And I guess the big test will be this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, how many Americans will actually travel into Canada. And, and so Stephanie will be interested uh, to yeah. see that data when yeah. it comes out. But, but I guess the question I have is, you know, what impact are wait times at the border actually having on businesses? Uh, because we certainly talk to our clients who are saying uh, they're having supply issues. Um, so on one hand, you look at the border and say, really, it's not that busy. Uh, but but lots of customers are saying, well, we can't get the product. So anyone got any thoughts on on what's going on there? Kevin. Yeah, I can weigh in on that. I really appreciate having Stephanie here to give us the data because I think one of our big challenges is perception and reality of what's going on. So as Stephanie's mentioned, truck, tra- uh, truck traffic is pretty much stable, but uh, car traffic is way down, yet we still have huge weights, as Christian mentioned. Because we have challenges. The Arrive Can app is not suited for a land crossing. Uh, you're dealing with cell phones. You're dealing with number of passengers in a car, trying to pass those cell phones over, making sure it doesn't get locked uh, to get those things through. We're seeing significant delays, people not uh, from the area around the borders, even just as close as Pennsylvania, not understanding what the Arrive Can app is, is causing delays. And how it's impacting our businesses right now is we're seeing less truck companies, less brokers being able to find trucks that are willing to cross between uh, New York State and Ontario. Because right now, like other uh, businesses, there's a shortage of truck drivers. And so instead of doing that lane where they have to cross the board, may have significant time delays, significant uh, distance uh, limitations because they've used up their, their driving hours, they're just opting to stay in New York State or going from New York to Pennsylvania is similar with Ontario drivers. We're seeing a lack of drivers willing to do that cross-border. That's causing an impact in us of being able to get those trucks as well as the cost of those trucks. So that's not only with fuel surcharges going higher, we're seeing significant rate, just the idea there's less people bidding for the projects. So you said truck hours, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, can you explain to our listeners what, what that means? Because I, I don't think everybody understands. Sure. Yeah, so for truck drivers uh, driving that, for safety reasons, they keep a driver's log. And part of that log is the amount of hours they have driven. Once they get to a certain level for those driving hours, they have to legally stop for a period of time. So what we're finding is that if you are stuck on the border idling there for an hour or more, that adds your time and takes an hour or more distance that you can go in that hour, which is causing challenges. We're also seeing a lot of times now because they're missing their appointment times. Before, it used to be the idea that we would schedule people into the warehouse uh, and we would give them a half-hour window saying, okay, 10 to 10.30, show up during that time, your schedule will get you loaded, we can we schedule it through. There's no consistency right now. We have many of them missing their times, not because of something that they've done, just because of uh, situations at the border or of what's been going on. So all of a sudden now they're backed up. We have the other truck that was due in for 10.30 being unloaded. They have to wait the additional 40 minutes. 
then again, that takes another hour off their uh, return trip or going to their next destination. And Stephanie, this would be consistent at all of our border crossings, correct? Um, yeah, like as far as truck, like kind of if we break it apart again into two different kind of buckets. So as far as the truck traffic goes, um, the relatively stable with delays. We've had a little bit of a few U.S. bound delays um, at LQ for, for the commercial loads. Canada bound has been pretty stable. We really haven't seen um, any great number of delays, but each crossing is actually set up kind of differently. And so at LQ, at Lewiston, Queenston, you can actually, like there's designated lanes for trucks and, and it goes all the way across the bridge. And so the cars don't impact the trucks um, as easily, but at some other crossings, the cars actually impact the trucks, um, which cause a lot of um, a lot of inconsistencies for the truck drivers, and they're not sure when they get there. Same with U.S. bound here at Lewiston Queenston. Halfway down the 405, the trucks get to break off from the cars, and so they're. they're there's a pretty consistent path that the trucks can follow without being impacted by, by car traffic. And so that isn't, isn't consistent among all the border operators. Um, so we're really fortunate that we have that here at Lewiston, Queenston. Um, but if car traffic does back up too far, um, even Canada bound, um, like if we get almost to the duty free, they will start impacting the trucks coming Canada bound. Um, so obviously we're very mindful of that. Um, but so from a truck traffic perspective, delays have been pretty minimal for the most part. We have had some delays on certain occasions, especially U.S. bound, it seems. Um, we have had some delays. We do have a fair amount of construction over there um, on the U.S. side. And so although the same number of lanes are open, um, it's still confusing to people when they first approach. So so hopefully, you know, as that continues to get resolved and, and we increase the capacity at LQ, we're going up from uh, we'll, we'll have six lanes in total at LQ um, in, in the next uh, year or two. So once that construction is completed, we'll increase our capacity there and hopefully we'll, it'll be a better experience hopefully for the truck drivers. Um, and then from the auto, from the auto perspective, um, you know, the number of lanes that are open and how fast they're being processed really are the two factors that come into play when it comes to wait times. Canada bound with the current like mandatory arrive can and still test kits being given out randomly in the booth and a, and a couple different circumstances that are really um, Health Canada measures that have been put in place and that CBSA is having to um, deal with. We're seeing on average per car right now, this past weekend I ran it, we're up about 30 seconds a car, which doesn't seem a lot, but if you add 30 seconds to every single vehicle, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, it starts to add up um, and create a wait time. We're also seeing, um, and I ran all the reports, we're seeing um, less lanes open than 2019. And, and that's for a number of different reasons, like very, like every other company, right? With staffing challenges, with employees being out for COVID leave for five days. Um, th there's, a, there's a number or, or a family member, a child being out from school and a parent has to stay home. All of these things still impact CBSA staff. They're no different than the rest of us. And so we're seeing um, the number of lanes in comparison to 2019 down from this year. So the processing times up slightly, the number of lanes open are down slightly. And so even though the volume is half, we're still seeing delays. And, you know, people that are tra traveling can mitigate those delays by trying to pick off peak times to travel. And you can still get across the border quite, quite easily, you know, like 
for instance, Friday, there was really only delays from five o'clock, six o'clock and seven o'clock. If you crossed any other time for autos, you were going to get across pretty relatively easy, easily. It's just so if if they can, if they're able to manage their travel times or adjust their travel times, I would suggest that they really look closely at when the peak travel times are. And, and again, if they have questions or anything, they're welcome to call the commission and we can kind of give them a, a let them know. But that's what we're seeing. Um, and then, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, those days were busier this past weekend. And we did see delays, like, again, up to upwards of almost an hour. But again, volumes are in half, but lanes are not, uh, not as many lanes are open and the processing time slightly up Canada bound. U.S. bound did a little bit better. Um, their, their lane numbers are down, so we still saw delays, um, but not as many as we saw at rainbow for some reason really saw a fair amount of auto delays this past weekend. Um, LQ was a little bit better. So there, there is information out there on our website, on peace bridge website, um, MTO, uh, the customs on both sides all have wait time data posted. So I suggest like before they cross, try to t- look at the three different crossings. Cause oftentimes we'll have one crossing that will actually have um, less delays than another. And you can actually expedite your, your entry into the US or back into Canada if you if you just look at the the wait times and see which bridge is better for you. But that's sort of what we're seeing uh, right now. It's really those two components, the processing time and the a number of lanes and and one, you know, the processing times up and the lanes are a little bit down. Yeah. It's helpful, Stephanie. Um, what else do you think needs to change at the border to get us back to safe but easier flow of traffic back and forth? The arrive Canada is the is a main challenge i like the the app itself I, I i think it's a benefit towards idea of if you're going on a cruise or if you're going um, by air and that sort of thing because one thing i hate about flying was you're sleeping you wake up and you find this little piece of paper there because they just announced that you're landing and then you're scrambling to get it all done before going through customs the art can app you can get it done and it's easy because you know your passage uh, but for land crossing, it, it's 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 very frustrating. I'm I'm tech savvy. I came back from Chicago in March, and I was worried my GPS was going to divert me in case there's any sort of construction because it's very uh, intuitive about making sure I get back the quickest way possible. But if I change my my border crossing because it asked me when I filled it out the day before which border crossing I'm going across, so I'm afraid. Oh no, is it going to divert me to Windsor? Or am I going to go through Sarnia? Or is it going to take me through Erie back to Niagara Falls? I was just really afraid it was going to do something tricky on me mm-hmm. uh, to get those things done. So really, we need to look at a more sophisticated approach to begin to get across so that we can still remain safe, have the data at our borders, but make it easier for the teams at the different border crossings to get people processed properly. Yeah, that's a good point. It's very specific, right? And then you can't deviate. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. Um, Wayne, I want to get you back into the conversation. So we, so I want you to tell our listeners what it is that you do, and also a little bit about the program that we've developed with the chamber um, to get products 
uh, and mail specifically back and forth across the border. So Wayberry Express is a cross-border delivery service out of Buffalo, New York. I've been doing the cross-border for over 28 years, and it's going to be 22 years with my own um, little business. Um, so yeah, I've been really successful working with small to mid-sized companies in the Toronto area. Um, the program that you know we're working with you, Dolores, the uh, Panda Postage has been a really big hit with our clients, you know, up in the um, Toronto area. Um, you know, we're partnered with a company that has um, postage from the uh, United States Postal Service. There's, there's only five resellers of postage in the United States, and they're one of the smaller ones. So what happens is they buy millions and millions of dollars of postage, and then they pass the savings on to you as, you know, a consumer. Um, so my Canadian clients that I have, they use it, they love it. Um, the savings are tremendous. Um, you know, we're not talking cents, we're talking dollars, you know? So when, when the Canadian clients see that they're, they're all over it. They, they love that, you know, you're getting your tracking, you know, and, and with me, it's kind of a, my claim to fame, you know, when I pick something up from a client's office or warehouse, it's being inducted the same day. So it's not sitting in my van. It's not sitting in a warehouse. So you're gaining, you know, a day or two sometimes um, just having that service. So it, it's been successful. And, and Craig and I are working, you know, with you closely and, um, you know, things are ready to really take off. Yeah, I think um, and, and uh, I think Stephanie and Kevin, you've heard about this program. Um, but I when I first met you when I was shocked at not just the amount of money, but the amount of time that, yeah. that this program saves. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing too, is, um, you know, when, when I can tell my clients that I can get them shipping boxes through the post office, I mean, I'm saving a company here in Buffalo over $30,000 in boxes alone. So if you have a specific, you know, item, product, whatever, you know, there are boxes that the postal service can provide free of charge. I just bring them up and, you know, you just got to build them some tape and, you know, pack it with um, your product. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think we all have to start thinking a little differently about how, how we're going to, um, um, ship products and, 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 um, do those types of things. And I'm wondering if there's, um, any new technologies on the horizon, uh, Stephanie, um, that might be implemented at the border, uh, to help with the ease of flow across. Yeah. Anything you know of that you can share with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, both Canada and the U.S. are working on a lot of um, border modernization strategies. They, they both have actually teams dedicated to border uh, modernization. Um, so there, there's a number of pilots that are going on um, along the northern and southern border that we can learn from and that um, they're, they're, they're doing. There's a couple that locally or, or more locally. Uh, in 2019, CBSA launched the Secure Corridor concept, trust your, uh, Trusted Trader Pilot at Ambassador. 
And um, that uh, is just one example. And that is really, um, they're looking at trying to figure out um, testing the capability of processing commercial traffic uh, remotely using uh, the Trusted Trader Program and expediting the passage of like low risk um, trusted shipments at the land border there. And they're trying to reduce obviously the processing time by automating some of the, the manual processes. So, so that's a really interesting pilot that's going on down at Ambassador and everybody's watching that pretty carefully just to see how that, what can be learned from that. And then um, up at PeaceBridge, there's a biometric, it's not Canada bound, but it is US bound and still obviously um, something that everybody can learn from. Um, CBP and PeaceBridge are piling biometrics um, pilot there for commercial trucks. Um, so it's actually stationed on the Canadian side. It does all the biometrics and basically packages everything up so that by the time you get to the CBP booth, um, they've already vetted and, and, and gone through the whole process. So there's a bunch of, um, and then there's a ton of pilots that are going along the Southern border as well for biometrics and, and vehicle um, inspection. There's also uh, a pilot that took place at the Peace Bridge from the auto side, uh, which was E-Gate, Nexus E-Gate, where there is no officer in the lane. It, the officer is actually in, in the back of office, back house office, and processes you through camera and through video, like a video chat almost. Mm. Um, so they did a pilot at Peace Bridge. They've rolled it out since at Ambassador. And... I can tell you that it's coming our way at the Lewiston, Queenston, Rainbow and Whirlpool Bridges, but we're not exactly sure what the date is. Um, but I think we'll see it in probably 2023 sometime. Um, and the benefit of that is, is one that you can use accommodated officers to do some of the work that um, can't be on the line. And two, they can, um, once they get it fully functional, um, they can actually use officers from even other ports, whatever the situation is. So say um, our port's super busy, but another port isn't, um, there's a, they can actually dedicate other resources from other areas to, to actually do the Nexus E-gate lanes here. Oh. And so it's a, a great opportunity for um, them to balance the traffic and balance the load between uh, bridges and officers. And so we, we will likely see that in 2023, hit some of the area bridges here. Peace does have it. So if you've ever come back from the hockey game or something and you go and you have a Nexus card, you go to the booth and, there, and there's no officer you talk to um, the officer through video, through the, through the voice and um, camera. And so we will likely see that technology hit here soon, but from a commercial side, yeah, there's a lot of really great pilots that are taking place and that they're learning from. And there's a lot of border modernization efforts um, being put forward right now. So I know that, that everyone here on the panel knows what Nexus is, but just for our listeners, can you explain what that program is? Yeah, Nexus is a great program. It's a joint program between um, the US and Canada, and it's relatively inexpensive. It's about $50 for you to get your Nexus card. And um, it's a it's a trusted traveler program. So you would fill out all the paperwork, you get pre vetted, basically by both agencies, CBP and CBSA vet you and then you do an interview, um, which is very simple. It's really just a couple questions to make sure you are who you say you are. And uh, once you've gone through that process, you get an Nexus card. It's good for five years. 
And um, it gives you a lot of benefit, especially in our area, it gives you a tremendous amount of benefit. We have Whirlpool Bridge, which is completely dedicated solely to Nexus users. And it's open from seven till 11. So you have your own private crossing that you can utilize um, to get back and forth between US and Canada. The, during COVID, they did um, they did put a pause on interviews. So right now there's a pretty large backlog that they're trying to sort through. And, and, and that's unfortunate because there is a lot of value to the program. But so I'm hoping that they will sort that out um, and start getting that program moving again. And, and that, like I said, has a tremendous amount of benefit to anybody that's going back and forth. Um, you can also use your Nexus card in the air environment as well um, for TSA pre-check if you elect to. So you can actually get some added benefits by having a Nexus card um, in the air environment and, and save yourself some of the security wait times in the air environment as well. So there, there's a lot of benefit to that program. And we encourage everybody to, to certainly jump on it if you cross the border, even a few times a year, it's worth it. Yeah. And in the airports, when you see people in that Nexus line and just zipping through, People get bitter. Really and kids bitter. are free. Kids are free for that program <laughs> as well. So you can get an access card for your child and it's free of charge. Um, you just have to go through the same process, but they then have photo identification. Their fingerprints are on file if they ever get lost or anything like that. Um, so there's a lot of great benefit to the Nexus card, even for children. Um, you can easily get that information to authorities if you ever needed to. And they have all your children's information on file um, and can circulate it quite quickly. So there's a lot of benefit even to having Nexus for your children as well. Sure. By the way, a little tip, the one of the best places in Canada to actually get an access card is actually at Fort Erie oh. uh, because they're actually uh, both offices are beside each other and uh, you walk out of one and into the other. It's a very streamlined process. So uh, um, for what it's worth, uh, do it at Fort Erie. Um, I had one of the mayors tell me uh, a couple of months ago that 43 cents of every dollar spent in the Niagara region is spent by an American. Um, I, I have no way to uh, validate uh, that data, but I certainly think that it's uh, probably, uh, you know, reasonably accurate. And, and so, you know, until the Americans start returning, uh, the Niagara economy, frankly, is going to be challenged. And, and perhaps it wasn't helped by, you know, some of the American officials uh, suggesting that traveling to Canada was dangerous. Uh, or not wise. So, you know, I think we have a perception issue here. We have to um, make it easier for Americans to get across the border. Um, certainly talking to, uh, to locals in Crystal Beach, uh, they're predicting a lot of Americans will be returning to their cottages this summer to see how it all looks, having not been able to do so for the past uh, couple of years. But, you know, I, I guess I'm interested as, as we look to close this uh, conversation, you know, what practical things that we can do to actually encourage Americans to come back? Because, you know, we're pretty friendly over here. We, we kind of like Americans most of the time. <laughs> Hear that, Wayne? <laughs> awesome. Yes, I love you guys too. I, you know, it's my second home. I think we have a challenge that too, because uh, with uh, our board, for the chamber and that we have people involved in the real estate and we're seeing places like crystal beach Ridgeway. we had a lot of cottages and that owned by americans being sold off and they're now being bought by Canadians because the americans are still worried about that and, and i think again it's the idea of perception and reality uh they don't want to see another disruption where they're not going to use an asset for two years uh so it, it they're looking for things closer to home 
Uh, even here on our side of the border, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, my friends, again, anecdotally, looking for, for opportunities and alternatives that are closer rather than saying, yeah, we'll go down for uh, six months to Florida, that they're looking for other alternatives to that as well. Uh, it's unfortunate, but we have to adapt. We have to figure out how we're going to do it and make sure people realize the resources we have in our own backyard. And I think this season for tourism is going to be important to get those local travelers to find the benefits of exploring the, their own communities. Yeah, the impact is so great because it is tourism for sure. And, and that's the most obvious. But, you know, those cottagers along that, specifically for us, the, the Erie shoreline is huge. Population in those communities, so communities of Port Erie and Port Colborne and Waynefleet, doubles. And, um, you know, cottages that have been in families for, for decades, you know, generation after generation are now being sold. And our biggest concern is they're being sold to, as Kevin said, Canadians who don't necessarily live in the community or return to the community. Um, you know, they're renting them out uh, or they're commuting. And, and those smaller communities like Fort Erie, Port Colborne, Waynefleet, we, we don't want to see them become com communities of commuters and not contributors. And that's really what's at risk beyond the obvious economic impact. So it's very deep, like it, 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 it goes way beyond just the obvious. And uh, it's something that we really do have to get a better handle on. I, I know it involves some lobbying and, um, and, and some common sense. <laughs> Which, which, what do they say? They always say common sense isn't so common, right? That's the challenge. That's something we have to stress, especially a year where we have two different levels of government being elected again, is to make sure they understand these, these issues aren't bubbles, that they over, uh, intersect each other. That the idea, it's not just tourism, but it's also our re uh, restaurant hospitality. Uh, we have things even like the local hardware store and that. If they don't have the people there, if they don't double that up when they're doing the upgrades and that, it infects their businesses as well. Uh, we really need to look at this as being something that's holistic rather than these, these single streams. Yeah. And, and Wayne, I mean, I'm curious because you're crossing that border every week, multiple times. Um, what, what would make your experience easier? I don't know. I mean, to me, the flow with the commercial and, you know, the, the auto traffic does you know, play effect at times, like Stephanie was saying, but I mean, honestly, it's been a smooth go for the last two plus years. I really don't have any complaints, you know, with the crossings and with us and Canada customs. I mean, it's been, I guess I've been just fortunate, um, in what I do, but I, you know, listen, you know, like everybody said, we have to get this border opened and, you know, <clears throat> the traffic flowing and, and people, you know, coming to Buffalo for dinners and shopping and, and vice versa. I mean, it's so important. You know, <clears throat> I was told years ago that, you know, for once, Buffalo is geographically correct on a map with Canada just because of the cross border and, you know, the friendship we have with, you know, your country. It's it's crucial. My my sense, Wayne, is that uh, you're a happy-go-lucky guy, and you're happy with everything in life, which is a great way to be. <laughs> I I try to I try yeah. to. 
into Wayne, into Wayne's point, like I cross sometimes four or five times a day. Right. And it is very easy. It is. I've not even through the whole pandemic have not run into any issues. Um, but I know exactly what the expectations are when I get there. I have my documentation ready. It's prepared. It's, it's the individuals, um, that are just unaware of it for whatever reason, um, that end up in front of me (laughs) that I have to wait behind, um, which is fine. And I have a fair amount of patience for it because I have an understanding and sympathy for them. So those individuals do struggle a little bit, like, but to Wayne's point, you know, Canada Customs has been very good with people and has at least locally anyways, I can't speak to all the crossings, but locally Canada Customs has been very good with people trying to help them get through it and, 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 and try to make it as smooth as possible for them, which is a benefit to us here locally that we do have a great group of customs officers here locally that are willing and patient to work with people. So, so that has made it easier for the people in the Niagara area to get back and forth. Um, so that, that, that has been a benefit, but you're right, Wayne, it, it is actually quite easy once you get the hang of it. And um, yep. once you do it a few times and you get a comfort with it, um, it's really, really not too bad. And then if you're savvy enough to kind of check the delays and, and schedule your travel outside of those peak hours, you can, you can make it pretty smooth and pretty seamless for yourself. I think it's just a blip on the, on the screen again, because I'm old enough. I think we're all old enough to remember when we didn't need to have passports across the board. That's uh, right. Yeah. Just use a piece of photo ID. And mm-hmm. the challenge that we're having uh, for U.S. citizens coming over at that time, too, because many of them didn't have passports uh, because they didn't travel internationally. Uh, so their percentage of people. And there was a learning curve there where people had to get that. I think it's one of those things wherever we figure and evolve our security for the border, we're going to have this bit of a bump and hopefully it just gets resolved. But we just make sure that whatever we choose to do, that something is easy to do. It's easy to pass a passport across to the officer. And again, like Stephanie said, uh, the few times I've been going over recently and that is they've been great. They've been very patient for everything, both sides of the border. Uh, but the challenge is make sure we give them the tools to be able to maintain that patience for the people coming over that may not be as experienced as, as people living close by like we are. Chris, one of your questions earlier was, you know, what could they do um, kind of in our opinion to maybe keep the border safe, but also keep it flowing. And um, kind of to Kevin's point, uh, Arrive Can does have a lot of value. There's no doubt about it. I think that there is a place for it. I just, I would love to see the mandatory nature of it go away. Um, and maybe it be more of an incentivized type program where if you want to use it, that's great. And here's a special, you know, a designated lane, or you can utilize Nexus or something like that, where it, so that you could build the program up slowly and get the usership up slowly. Um, and, and as people see the value in it, like, why is that lane moving so fast? Well, if you have Nexus or arrive can, you can go in it and then maybe you would build that user base up, um, and, and people would see the value in it and you could get the buy-in without the mandatory nature um, and slowing the other the other lanes down. I, I think it does have a place. I think that it is probably part of the modernization of the border to have that information and get in customs hands um, as far away from the border as possible so that when you get to the border, it is a quick experience. So I do think there is some value there, but I think that how you roll it out, how you market it and how you implement it is a really key component of making um, something like that successful. 
Um, so, so for me, that's one thing that I, I see. Also, I would love to get away from the test kits being given out in the lanes and the um, like the random testing. Uh, I, I would love to see some of that disappear um, from the lanes, uh, just because, you know, we don't, I'm, I'm not sure 100% of the true value of it. Um, you know, the person's already entered Canada at that point. It, you're not, you know, I know I get you're seeing generally whether or not there's any new um, variants being introduced, but I think there's so many other ways to get that information. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the border. So I would love to see for the random test kits to disappear. Um, I'd like to see the arrive can not be mandatory and it become more of a, a voluntary program. And, um, you know, if vaccination status has to stay for a while, I guess I can live with that. Um, you know, if, if, it, if it's, if what public health believes is that's the, the ultimate safety measure at the moment, like I'm not one to say that I know anything about the safety measures. I'm not a health professional. So I guess, you know, I can live with that piece of it. Um, and so then you would have consistent measures going in both directions. Cause right now we have one set of rules going into the U S and a different set of rules going into Canada. Mm -hmm. And and that just inherently creates confusion among people. So it would be really wonderful if, if they kind of mirrored each other and that it was simply really just vaccination status um, that you need to have proof of vaccination. Um, because US bound, you pull up into the lane, they have the ability to ask if you're vaccinated and if, and if they require you to show proof, then you need to show it. Other than that, it's really no different than it was in 2019 crossing into the US right now. And it would love to see Canada get to that that point to match the US at least. Um, and like I said, if vaccination status has to stay for a while in order to protect both countries, I can I can live with that for the moment. That's great advice, uh, Stephanie, um, really helpful. And so wanted to sincerely thank all three of you, Stephanie, Wayne and Kevin, some great insights this morning, uh, really helpful. And hopefully we will see those numbers grow, uh, you know, as the weeks and months continue. Uh, my sense is it's, you know, it's a marketing issue as much as anything else. We need to be uh, telling people that it's safe to cross and, uh, and perhaps giving them, uh, you know, suggestions on, on how to smooth out the process, if, as you have alluded to, Stephanie. So, Dolores, I, I, I think it's the end for the season for us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Fun, right? Absolutely. What a ride. It, uh, it has been a great season two. I want to thank all of our guests throughout the entire season. Chris, we've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, personally, it's given me a lot of food for thought and, um, and a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work comes out of these because there's lots of ideas, but we love it. We will be back in the fall with a brand new lineup. You might see some familiar faces. Who knows? But uh, we wish all of our listeners a wonderful and safe summer. And again, we'll see you in the fall.